come and fill our hearts with your peace. Come and fill our hearts with your peace. This is essentially an Advent prayer. In this season of longing, waiting, anticipating. The essential prayer of Advent is is this. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. It's why we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Or, come, thou long-expected Jesus. These are Advent prayers in the midst of our waiting that express our desire for God to come, right? For Jesus to come again and make all things new. So this prayer, uh, come, Lord, is one that we return to throughout this season. And, and really, this prayer does at least two things. Uh, on, on the one hand, it looks to God for help. It, it calls out to God for help and for hope. But uh, beneath that, it acknowledges that we are unable to ultimately make things right apart from God. We call out, come, Lord, because we need God desperately. So we pray, come, Lord, not just because it's a good religious thing to do, but because we desperately need and long for God to come and make things right. And all of this is part of the prayer that that we pray every week as we gather and that we are dwelling on through this Advent season. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. We need God to come and establish His kingdom among us. And so today, as a part of this prayer, we pray, come and fill our hearts with your peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And so today we are reflecting on this kingdom of peace together. And we're going to begin our time with a text that we've already heard read this morning from Isaiah 11. And so if if you have a Bible and want to open up, you can open up there. Isaiah chapter 11 is where we're beginning our time today. Um, This passage depicts an emerging kingdom and its king. And then it depicts what this kingdom is like with startling and surprising imagery. And so let's hear these words once more as we reflect on and pray for this kingdom of peace today. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, 
the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. But they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we thank you for your kingdom of peace. We long for it to come in our midst. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this kingdom of peace is a kingdom that Isaiah speaks of. This passage that we've just read begins with an image of a shoot coming up out of the stump of Jesse. What does this mean? Right? What, what, what is all of this? Well, earlier on in the story of God's people, there was a prophet named Samuel who God sent to anoint the future king of Israel. God told Samuel, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And so Samuel went to Bethlehem and went to the house of Jesse to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. And as the story goes, he meets Jesse's sons one at a time and he sees one and he thinks, oh, surely this one is the Lord's anointed. But God says, no, don't look on the outward appearance. And so he looks to another. But again, he senses that God says, no, God hasn't chosen this one either. And one after another after another, none of Jesse's sons seem right as king. I'm sure Samuel at this point was wondering, why did God call me here? Right? You told me to anoint one of Jesse's sons, but here I am looking at all of Jesse's sons and none of them are right to be king. And so Samuel finally asks Jesse, are these 
all of your sons? And Jesse goes, oh, well, there's the youngest one. He's out back with the sheep. And Samuel says, well, bring him here. And so he comes in. The youngest was called for, and when he arrived, God told Samuel, this is the one. The little kid who was out back with the sheep. And so Samuel anointed him, David, the son of Jesse, the king of Israel. So when Isaiah, writing long after, hundreds of years after the time of David, says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, what he is saying is that just as God has done before, God will once again bring forth an anointed one, a Messiah to establish his kingdom. This is kingdom language that Isaiah is using when he talks about shoots and stumps and Jesse. A king will come filled with the Spirit of God to establish God's kingdom of peace. Now, we desperately need a kingdom of peace to be established, don't we? I mean, peace is so elusive, isn't it? We just can't hold on to it. No matter what, it's always slipping through our grasp. This this past week was one of those weeks for me that just never seemed to stop. Any of you ever have one of those weeks? Yeah? You know, I, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but a lot of times um, in, in, in my day, I, I just go through the day hoping that eventually I will arrive to the point where I can sit down and relax, right? Like, the, the whole day is just one long, hard journey to the couch, right? If I can just get to the couch, everything will be fine, right? All right, any of you have days like that? Um, well, this week seemed like the couch never came, right? There was just always something to prepare for, another meeting, another project, another thing to plan. And they were all good things, like really good things. But so much of me just wanted to get to the couch in the evening, right? Rest and peace can seem so elusive, so hard to actually get to. And, and now, a lot of times, it really is just a matter of circumstances, right? There are weeks that are busy. There are seasons that are stressful. But I think a lot of times, we deceive ourselves into thinking that it's just our circumstances, that, that all of this turmoil is just our circumstances. We think, you know, man, if, if only I had those resources, if only uh, that relationship were set right in, in my life, if only I had that job, if only I lived in, in that house, right? I mean, fill in the blank with whatever it is. If only, well, then I'd finally be okay. Right? If only I were on the couch, then I'd be okay. We fool ourselves into thinking that it's just our circumstances causing this anxiety. 
you know, and all we need is that thing out there. And once we have it, we'll finally have peace. But here's the thing. It's not just our circumstances that need to be changed. It is us who need to be changed. Because the truth is, once we get those resources, that relationship, that job, that house, that thing, that restless ache still remains. That anxiety still churns within us. Because no matter where you go, there you are. No matter where you go, there you are. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in, you, we carry that anxiety with us. We carry that restlessness with us. And so we need to pray, come and fill our hearts with your peace. That's what we need desperately. And all that we're talking about is, is, is on a you know, personal, daily level. But if we just back up and look at the world, we see the very same thing playing out on large scale, right? We see a world filled with restless anxiety, with all kinds of kingdoms that have an insatiable hunger for power and control. We continue hearing of war, in countries across the world. We continue hearing of violence and shootings in our own country. Just in the past few weeks, there have been multiple. And, and here's the thing, when we hear news of war, violence, and shootings, often our, our first response is rarely grief. Often our first response is some kind of political script. Oh, we need, we need this policy. Or, don't you dare enact that policy, right? We respond with all these scripts. And where do they come from? Well, they come from the kingdoms of this world that seek power and control. Kingdoms that participate in and perpetuate violence of both body and mind. Kingdoms that divide the world into us and them. Kingdoms that not only erode, but actively resist peace. This is the world that we live in. A world in desperate need of peace. But Isaiah glimpses a different kind of world. He speaks of a different kind of kingdom. I mean, look at this strange and startling picture. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 6. He starts writing about animals. He says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow 
will feed with the bear. The young, uh, their, their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child put its hands into the viper's nest. And they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. What kind of kingdom does God's Messiah come to establish? A kingdom of peace. A kingdom of peace. A kingdom that no longer divides into us and them. We see a kingdom where the line between predator and prey is no more. The wolf and the lamb, the leopard and the goat, the lion and the yearling, the bear and the cow, even cobras and vipers with little children. This is the strange and startling picture of God's kingdom of peace. So, my parents moved up to Washington a few years ago. Uh, They live east of here in the mountains. And their house is like a little cabin in the woods. It's adorable. Uh, They call it their little cabin. Um, And when they moved here, they fully embraced the Pacific Northwest aesthetic. Um, They've decorated their home with the, you know, black and red plaid. What is it? Buffalo check or something like that. You know, that pattern. Um, And uh, they've, you know, got little silhouettes of evergreen trees uh, patterned around. And of course, all kinds of little bear figures. Uh, You know, that's just sort of what they've done in their little cabin in the woods. And it's all very cute uh, until they had a particular experience earlier this year. You see, they, they, um, they have a little bird feeder outside of one of their windows. Uh, which they've loved watching the birds come and, and eat and stuff. It's, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. But one year, or one year, one day, my stepmom uh, went into the kitchen and looked out the window and saw this. Their bird feeder was feeding much more than just birds. Uh, there was a hungry bear uh, out there uh, just gnawing on this bird feeder, looking for whatever food it could find. Uh, and, you know, it started wandering around the outside of the house, uh, very interested in getting in, uh, because I think there might be some food in there. Uh, and, uh, I mean, as adorable as this little bear was, my uh, stepmother no longer thought bears were all that cute uh, whenever a hungry one is staring at you, asking to come in, right? Uh, and so, uh, since this encounter... They've stocked up on bear spray and uh, horns and all kinds of manners of defenses uh, because, you know, you don't want hungry bears wandering around. Uh, And if there is one, you you want it to go away. Uh, You know, and I mean, bears will do all kinds of things when they're hungry. Just uh, a little over a month ago, near Leavenworth, there was a woman who was attacked by a bear. Uh, And uh, we were actually there that weekend, uh, and one of our friends saw a bear, may very well have been the same bear, that later on went to attack someone. Uh, It's right to be a little afraid um, and to put up some defenses at times, because there's no telling what a bear might do 
when it's hungry. This is the world that we live in. But in the kingdom that Isaiah describes, such fears will be groundless. Such fears will have no foundation because bears and cows and wolves and lambs and vipers and cobras will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace. Now, this, this image of animals living at peace with one another is, you know, a fun kind of fanciful picture that sounds a bit like a nursery rhyme. Uh, but it has real implications for us today. You see, the biblical prophets often use images of different kinds of animals to depict different nations. Uh, we, we see this often. They, they talk, often use images of birds or animals to talk about the different nations of the world. And so with this in mind, the image that Isaiah is giving us becomes not merely a nice nursery rhyme picture of happy animals together, but an image of the world at peace, of nations dwelling together at peace with one another. Nations not at war, where people are not violent, where all people live as, at peace with one another. And Isaiah offers this picture more specifically a few chapters earlier. If you'd like to flip back to Isaiah chapter 2, we see another description of this kingdom of peace. Isaiah 2, beginning in verse 3, he writes, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. God's kingdom of peace is a world where swords and spears are obsolete and irrelevant. Like last year's smartphones, they become outdated technology that are no longer compatible with the world that we're living in. But I want you to notice something. See, they don't merely throw away their swords and spears. Rather, they turn them into plowshares and pruning hooks, garden tools, right? Peace does not merely come by stopping violence. Rather, peace is something that we actually work toward. Peace is something that we actually pursue, 
Not only by ending evil, but by cultivating good. This is a picture of God restoring the world to the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. Whenever he placed humanity there to care for creation. Right? In this picture from Isaiah 2, people put away fighting in order to take up gardening. I love that. They transform their outdated, obsolete swords and spears into garden tools for God's kingdom of peace. And this is exactly what Jesus did when he came. He comes preaching peace, telling people to turn the other cheek, to go another mile, to love your enemies, and lay down your lives for one another, to be a people who pray for those who persecute you, right? This is who Jesus was, someone who turned swords into plowshares, I mean, just look at the cross. Every week, we have this cross set before us. A violent torture device from the kingdom of Rome. And yet, why do we have this cross before us? Because Jesus has transformed the violent killing machine into a source of life and resurrection. We come to the cross because it's a place for new life. It's no longer a tool for death, but it's a sign of the new life of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus did, and it's what he calls us to do as we follow him. So last week we looked at John the Baptist who came announcing the kingdom of God to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming. And we said that we, the church, are called to announce the kingdom of God and prepare the way for Jesus' second coming. This is what we are called to. We're a part of this coming kingdom of peace. So how is God's kingdom of peace built? How is this kingdom built? Well, I have a a small modern parable for you. Uh, This time of year, it is a, a fun tradition at times to make and decorate gingerbread houses. Anyone do that recently or... Plan to do that sometime soon, right? Gingerbread houses. Uh, Stores are lined with gingerbread houses, right? I mean, as I'm checking out from Walmart, there's just like gingerbread houses on all sides right at the exit. Um, And there are all different kinds of gingerbread houses. There's the classic gingerbread houses, you know, with icing and gumdrops and stuff. But then I've noticed, you know, there's a, a Super Mario Brothers gingerbread house, right? Um, There's a a Charlie Brown gingerbread house. Yesterday, we saw a Batman gingerbread house complete with a gingerbread Batmobile, right? 
I mean, it's great. All these different kinds of gingerbread houses, but they all have one thing in common. They're made of gingerbread, right? A gingerbread house is made with gingerbread. And so here's the parable. Just as gingerbread houses are made with gingerbread, so God's kingdom of peace is made with peace. Just as a gingerbread house is made of gingerbread, so God's kingdom of peace is made with peace. We don't build God's kingdom with force. We don't build God's kingdom with intimidation. We don't build it with harsh words or harsh actions. God's kingdom of peace is built with peace. It can't be established with swords and spears because then by its very nature, it would not be a kingdom of peace. You can build a house out of Oreos or vanilla wafers or oatmeal cream pies, but it's not going to be a gingerbread house. You can only build a gingerbread house out of gingerbread. And God's kingdom can only be established with peace. So how can we build God's kingdom of peace? As we close, I want to share with you three practices to consider that might help us participate in God's kingdom of peace. And it's your lucky day, they all begin with the letter S. Three practices of peace. Stillness, service, and song. Stillness, service, and song. These are my challenges and invitations to you in this coming week and month. So first, the practice of stillness. One of the ways that we can cultivate peace in our lives is by taking time to be still. Right? We often get up and just go at the start of a day with our minds spinning with all that needs to get done, you know, those days and weeks that don't seem to ever stop. Uh, we have those. We rush right on into the noise and the busyness. And then at the end of the day, if, if, if we make it, we land on the couch with the TV on or something, right? You know the drill. All of this is filled with motion and movement and and noise and, and all of that, all of which serve to distract us from that inner restlessness, that inner ache and anxiety. Because remember, peace is not found by changing our circumstances, but rather by being changed and stopping to be still is one way that we can open ourselves up to being changed by God. In the midst of a world of of chaos and war, Psalm 46 says, 
be still and know that I am God. So I encourage you to take a moment every day to pause and be still. Even if it's just one minute, take a moment and be still. And as you do this, you may find that that restlessness begins to stir up in you because it's so used to just being distracted, being held at bay. You may notice as you sit that things like grief or anger might stir up in you. Pay attention to those things. Whatever it is that emerges within a moment of stillness, it's an opportunity to sit with that thing and offer it to God. And to pray the prayer, come Lord, over your life. And so take a moment every day to pause and be still. And within these moments, we can begin cultivating an inner peace that we then carry with us throughout the day, which leads us to the next practice, service. Another way we can cultivate peace in the world is by serving other people. In a world of selfish swords and spears, service is a plowshare for peace. There are all different ways to serve, right? Maybe it's signing up to help with the Wildwood Christmas boxes. We already have stuff accumulating over in the corner there. Uh, Maybe it's contributing an item for a meal for Genesis Project, right? There are some opportunities to serve here among us. But maybe it's just some small act of kindness, right? Doing something unexpected and kind, for your spouse or a family member or helping your coworker with something or giving them a small unexpected gift. Uh, it could just be a simple, uh, kind, and encouraging word that is spoken. Right? So many people go through their days discouraged, insecure. A word of kindness And encouragement can transform all of that in a moment. Just something, hey, I see you, and you're doing a great job. Can transform a person's day. Whether it's a stranger in a grocery store or or a friend who you know well. I mean, a simple word of encouragement. can be an act of peace, an act of service that brings peace and builds up God's kingdom of peace. What simple act of service might you try this week? The last practice that I want to encourage you in is song. The practice of singing. Song has a powerful way of creating and communicating peace. I mean, just think of someone singing a lullaby to their child. Help them fall asleep at night. 
One of my favorite things is hearing the birds singing in the morning, right? It's the sound of peace and, and, and goodness. The world as it's meant to be. But here's something that I've noticed. Whenever a storm is on the way, the birds don't sing. They, they stay quiet because they know that, that something is, is stirring, something is, is on the way. And the storms of the world have a way of silencing our songs. But as God's people, we can actually stand against the storms of the world with song. Uh, singing uh, is a way of, of rebelling against the kingdoms that are not of peace. And so, uh, song is, is a way of doing this. Now, it may be actual, literal singing. You know, I, I encourage you to, to try that out. You know, sing something by yourself, uh, with your family. Uh, you know, when we were in Ireland, uh, there's, uh, we were having breakfast and, uh, at this B&B, and, and the guy came out and asked us what we wanted. He had a small menu for us, and we would you know, kind of pick something, and then he'd go off into the next room to, to cook up whatever it was that we said. I mean, we could hear the bacon frying and all that. I mean, it was just happening in that moment. And as he wandered away, uh, every time he was, you know, like he was just humming along. And it was the most joyful thing, this, you know, Irish man singing as he fried bacon for us in the morning. Uh, what if you did that in your day? Right? Sing. It, it can be an act of, of peace. Now, maybe you don't want to sing, but, but you could turn on some music, right? Um, and let it set your heart toward God. Let it be a sign that God's kingdom of peace is coming and perhaps is, perhaps is even here among us. But even beyond the sound of music, there's the posture of our hearts. Our very lives can be a song as we live to God. Music can radiate from our very being when we live in hope and joy that God gives. And so let your life be a song as, as you participate in God's kingdom of peace. So these are my, my challenges and invitations for you. Stillness, service, and song. Try these practices this week as we turn swords into plowshares, as we participate in God's kingdom of peace, that our lives may join the hopeful and expectant prayer, thy kingdom come. Amen.